Welcome to the Kelly Cardenas Podcast, where attitude is everything. On today's show, uh, we have a young man that has a, a list of accolades, and I'm going to list them all for you, but then I'm going to tell you the real reason why he's here. Um, so he's a multi-school owner, Paul Mitchell school owner in Birmingham and Huntsville. Um, he has a salon called Hair Impressions. Uh, he likes to refer to it as a professional hairdresser, not just a hairdresser, and we're going to get into that here in a second. Um, but most of all, this has been my friend uh, for we just realized that it's been for over 18 years. And the things that he's taught me over the years have been so amazing and such a, a, a wide, vast uh, uh, amount of knowledge, all the way from how to cut hair a little bit quicker, how to be an entrepreneur, to how to carry a gun in your car at all times. So please welcome to the show, Mr. Robert Brown. Hey, everybody. I'm so glad and honored to be here with Kelly. I've been looking forward to this for a really, really long time. This is my maiden voyage with I, uh, podcast, and I'm really excited to do it with Kelly. Well, it, it's incredible to be able to spend time with you, man. And I got a chance to spend time with your uh, son the other day. And, um, you know, I think that uh, I think I've, I play second in your family to my brother. Um, let's talk about that experience, because I remember I called you and I said, hey, Robert, because friends do things for friends. But there's some things in Alabama that you don't do for anyone, which is give away your Alabama LSU tickets when they're a number one and number two. So I called Robert and I said, hey, Robert, I want to go to a game. And he said, oh, no, you ain't doing this to me. But you actually gave up your tickets for the LSU Alabama game when they were number one and number two. Tell me about that experience and how good of a friend do I have to be to be able to get those tickets? Well, you know, ever since we met, we bonded. I mean, that was in 2003. And, you know, if you want to go to a game, I wanted you to go to a good game. And unfortunately, Suzanne and I had plans. So I did the next best thing. I handed you the ticket. I gave you my truck, gave you my home and said, enjoy this game because it's a one of a kind game. I mean, it's a special rivalry between us and anybody in the SEC, but especially LSU. So you got to go to one of the top games of the century. I mean, that's when, uh, you know, Saban was just coming in. Uh, hopefully you had a good time. And, you know, your brother was here. And that's who Patrick seemed to move to so much. Uh, they bonded. I, I don't know if they ever went to sleep that night. I think they stayed up about all night talking. So that's how you got shoved to the side just a little bit. Well, I say a lot of bit because I mean, honestly, like every, every time, every time I see you, Suzanne, I see Patrick, uh, I see Hannah, they're like, Oh, how's, how's Rob? Where, where's Rob at? And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm over here. Uh, I'm here, but uh, uh, I, I just think that it's amazing. The, the fast friends that you make though, let's talk about that because I mean, where does this come from, Robert? You have probably one of the greatest skill sets in making fast friends and not just um, in, in today's society, a lot of times people make a friend and they're like, oh, this is my friend, but it's not really their friend. And you have this, this ability to be able to do it. Where did it come from? Where did that stem? Well, you know, my dad was very outgoing and I have a lot of my traits from him. I mean, you just walk in and be real and try to have a good time. And, you know, people are either going to like you or not. You can't be the judge of what they're looking for. All you can be is yourself, which I try to be pretty consistent the way I am. I love life. I love to have a good time. Uh, I love to meet friends. I love to do things for friends. Uh, it's just part of the DNA. Well, I think one of your one of your friends that you told me about that that really inspired me was a was a man named John Turnage, and you guys' friendship is uncommon. Um, talk to us about that friendship, what it means to you, how it started, and kind of some a uh, little bit about it. 
you know, that is a, a very special friendship. You know, we, I met John through the school programs and, you know, I was one of the first schools. He was almost the first school and, you know, I needed a mentor and here was this guy that was a six foot six giant, you know, gray hair, uh, an accountant, uh, and so totally different than what I am. People go, how are you two friends? I've even had a son say, what's, what's the deal between you and John? How did y'all bond? I says, you know, it was just instant. I knew that he had the things that I needed to know, and I had something that he needed to know. Um, and, Lord, we go on, we went on vacations together for about nine years, our kids and everything. We had the fastest bonds you could ever imagine. You know, we play off of each other in the hair industry. Now, he knows a lot of the logistics of things, but he, uh, he, he doesn't know anything about hair. Uh, so he calls me and asks me what my opinions are on classes and things like that. We've designed some classes that were eventually picked up uh, and turned into protege and things like that because, you know, I was seeing something that was missing. And John kind of looks to me for that wisdom of how can we make better hairdressers? You know, I mean, I take the job very seriously. I mean, they're they're committed to me, so I'm going to be committed to them and try to make sure they have the best experience and the best knowledge of anybody on the planet. Uh, am I a little hard to deal with at times? Yeah, I do know what people can do. And a lot of times people don't know their own uh, limits. They want to say, well, I can't do this. So why can't you? You know, that's one of the big things that people say, well, Robert, how are you do the things that you do? Well, no one told me I couldn't. And that's my view on anything. What can I not do? And I want to pass that on to these hairdressers and say, look, the information's there. The knowledge is there, you know. Take it to the next level. Don't do what everybody else does. Be your own self. And I think that's a lot of it. Hopefully, anytime I'm around y'all, I'm the same. I'm going to be myself regardless. Well, I love that in any environment that we're in, it doesn't matter if we're in a boardroom. It doesn't matter if we're in a group of, um, you know, CEOs, anything like that. Robert, you are genuinely Robert, and it does not matter where, you know, what is going on. Talk to me about... Well, let's talk about that part of it. And again, where it comes from, you know, and, and also too, you went into a profession very early on that wasn't traditional. And I think one of the things that I admire about you most too, is your ability to adapt. Like no matter what hits you, Robert is going to, Robert's going to impact whatever comes into his scenario. So when there's, you know, say a, a, a business decision and maybe it doesn't go exactly the way that you thought it was going to go. That doesn't stop, Robert. How do you continue to adapt at the level and speed that you do? Well, you know, I, I like to say it's common sense. You know, <laughs> if you keep doing the same thing over and over and you don't get the, 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 the results you want, you need to, you know, make a, make a shift. It's just that I may do it a little quicker than other people do. And sometimes this turned out bad. And I'll admit to my mistakes at that point because I do like to, uh, as when you call it, ready fire aim you know i think i'm you know firing first <laughs> but you know it's just the way i'm built i mean no one's ever told me about limitations so i've never had it you know as you mentioned i started into our industry at 14 years old uh, i was in uh i just moved to hamilton alabama from memphis tennessee and you know really didn't have a lot of friends or anything and also i was kind of an outcast i mean i had long hair they didn't and spoke a little different, had a little different ideas about how to deal with people. And my best friend was from Michigan 
And uh, they had the opportunity for us to get out of school for a few hours every day and go to trade school. So we said, hey, we're going to go to barber school. There was a lot of good-looking women in there and a 14-year-old in with a bunch of good-looking women. You know what's on your mind all the time. And, uh, you know, it was a great experience. You know, I made a lot of fast friends there at that point. It was 1974. Uh, a lot of the uh, Vietnam vets were in our class. So it was like, real interesting, you know, finding about their life and what they went through. Uh, you know, so I've, I guess a lot of it is I've always been around people five to ten years older than me. So it may have set me up a little bit different at a young age, you know. At 17, I graduated barber school before I graduated high school. And I had license in the hair field before I had a, a, a diploma. Uh, you know, I graduated uh, on a Thursday, and on the Tuesday, I'd already moved to Tuscaloosa. I skipped school one day and came down and found a job, and uh, Mom says, where are you going to live? I says, oh, oh, i got a place to live, uh, and I moved down. I lived in a 65 Chevy, so from there, there's only one place to go is up, right? So maybe that is what has also contributed to me not saying I can't do something. I mean, it's like, okay, you can sleep in a car, you know, you can make enough money to move out, you know, I mean, and, and get my first apartment, which it was a beautiful apartment, had me and a mattress in it. That was it. But, you know, I had fun. I mean, I, I try to ha have that light side about everything, try to find something that can be humorous about it. And, you know, I tried being miserable. I didn't like it. I didn't like it at all. So I, I, I worked real hard not to do that. And uh, humor is a great way to keep from being depressed. Another pause for station identification and shameless promotion. This episode is also brought to you by Finley Cars of Las Vegas. I tell you, the next level in the car buying experience, and not only that, but the life of your car, the service that you're going to uh, experience is incredible. It's Finley Volvo Cars uh lv.com and also brought to you by uh, bling shine serum the only product on the market that will add weightless moisture strength and shine and the only uh, product that has the endorsement of my mama when i showed her all the features and benefits she smelled it and she said this is the greatest product that you've ever done and i thought mom do you not uh, look at the features and benefits she said no if it smells like that it must work and i tell you every single woman needs a little bit of bling in their life and this can be purchased at kellycardinasalon.com so when, tell us when you tried to, to be miserable, because when I, when I know, I mean, I've known you for 18 years and even uh, when you tell me you're having a bad day, Robert, you still will laugh, say a joke to me and then look at me with that little smile that you have. And you'll be like, yo, I was having a kind of bad day. And then you just move on from it. How are you able to rebound in the way that you do? So consistently, I mean, was this, let's take it back to, you know, five, 10 year old Robert. Um, was this things that your parents were teaching you or was this just from impacts that was, uh, that was ha happening to you? I was very independent at a very early age. You know, we were living in Memphis, mom worked, dad worked. We had a, a, a lady that raised me, uh, cause mom worked all the time. And, uh, you know, I lived right by a park, five, six years old. In the mornings, I'd go down to the park and be gone all day. Uh, as I got older, I'd drag my baby brother around everywhere. I've just always been very independent, you know, and I guess that leads with, to the part of why can't I do this? Uh, so I could say it started probably around five or six years old. I mean, I was walked to school, you know, about a mile to school at six years old by myself. You know, mama gave me bus money, but the bus money was spent better at the bakery across the street than it was getting on the bus. Uh, you know, so 
you know, sometimes I would do that. Sometimes when I was supposed to ride the bus home, I'd stop and buy, you know, baseball cards or something and run home beside the bus and get home at the same time, you know, just so mom didn't know. But, you know, there's always ways to, you know, stay motivated if you'll look at the bright side instead of the dull side. The dull side will suck you in and keep you there. And, you know, every now and then somebody's just got to come over and just shake you and say, all right, that's enough. Well, you know, a lot of times I'm I've, like I've been independent. Uh, there was nobody to shake, so I shake myself and say, let's just get out of this. That's not even fun. Let's go have some fun, you know. Uh, you know, when I was in my teens and early 20s, I was all about fun. I was that hairdresser that uh, was inspired by Warren Beatty. I, I went and bought a motorcycle when I could, and I had, the, you know, the long hair and, and, and thought I was him there for a few minutes. Um, life's just too short. Um, to be miserable. And unfortunately, I do have a great life, but I've had a lot of very bad situations I've had to deal with, deaths of family members and parents and, you know, friends and and things. And, and you know, I think, you know, I'm, I'm blessed to still be here because a lot of these people were better people than I am, but God took them. So I just have to celebrate that they're in a better place and move on. Uh, I can't. Just focus on it because I, you know, all I can do is all I can do until the day I die. And, and at that point, I'm going to be okay too, you know? <laughs> so Robert, you're one of the ones that I, and I've, I've, you rarely see this combination. Number one, hard work. Like you are the, one of the hardest working, if not the hardest working person that I know. But also, you always have joy in your work. I've never seen you. And this is the thing that's really big today. Like, oh, I'm about my grind. I'm about my grind. I've never seen you grind because every time I see you working hard, like you'll be telling me, oh, Kelly, I woke up and I drove two hours to, you know, Huntsville and then I worked and then I drove back and I stopped by Birmingham and I stopped by the salon and I did whatever needed to be done and you have joy. How are you able to have the combination of such hard work and keep the joy in it the whole time? Because I've never seen you outside of the joy. Well, I mean, I love what I do, so that helps. You know, I love seeing that spark in people's eyes with school. That's the reason I opened schools. Uh, I got tired of um, seeing a lot of people graduated from beauty schools and, and not getting the enough education. I'm, I'm not going to say they did a bad job, not enough of the education. So if you love what you do, the grind is just, to me, it's amazing. It's, it, it's, it's energetic. It gives me energy, you know. Uh, you know, 12 hours a day, I'm working, I'm only working half a day. You know, people got confused when I say, well, I work a half a day every day. They go, oh, four hours. I said, no, baby, there's 24 in my day. I don't know what's in yours, but, uh, I've got 24 hours. I give 12 hours to my profession and my family. I get a little sleep and get up and do it again with joy. Uh, you know, uh, you got to spread love. I mean, there's, there's, you know, each and every one of us had the opportunity in life to change somebody. And it can be done in just a few seconds. If they're in need and you come in and give them something they need, they never forget you. I did a, a little thing the other day. They posted something about me on uh, Instagram. And I said, if you have any memories of us together, you know, please send them to me so I can relive. Lord, they lit up my my Instagram. I mean, I had people all the way back from, remember when you were living in the car, I met you in a club. I'm going, well, first of all, I wasn't old enough to be in the club. Uh, but, you know, I'm glad you remember that. And, you know, it, it was just, I mean, I'm still getting, they're still reposting. I love it. I love all my people. I like to see that I've made an impact enough on people 
for that because I'm new to this technology stuff. I'm just now daily dabbling into it. Uh, you know, I'm wanting to do some bigger things. I want to start doing some podcasts, uh, you know, maybe get hairdressers together where we can do a community of fun-loving hairdressers doing videos to help the young ones, you know, and, and teach them that we're all the same. We're all equal. You know, you've got to accept everybody. And I guess that's the reason I, I, I just actually get energy off of what I do every day. The busier I am, the better I am. Uh, the last thing is, is like the COVID I mean, that drove me crazy being at home. I mean, I've done so many projects, man. I've been a tree cutter, fence builder, rock toter, you you name it. I've done, I've worked on my cars all I can. Um, I can't sit still. Well, I love to be able to watch, uh, you know, watch you as you go. And, and how is it that you continue to relate? Like, and it's not like, you know, you see the uh, the dad at the mall that's wearing the basketball jersey that has the 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 phone clip on the outside trying to act like he's down, <laughs> like he's cool, right? And you're like, let it go, brother. It's it's not your time anymore. And there's those people who try and relate, and they're not relating. And then there's the people who literally, like, you're authentically yourself. And you relate to these kids on such a simplistic level and you make education so simple that people can consume it. Talk to us a little bit about that simplicity and how that simplicity is, has attributed to your success. Oh, well, you know, my, my number one motto is I'm not ever going to work hard. I'm going to work smart uh, and figure out ways, you know, like you discussed earlier, you know, people are saying, oh, if you got to book an hour for a haircut and blow dry. I'm going, how about 30 minutes? Like, well, how are you going to do that? Well, I simplified everything into, you know, condensed cutting, cross-checking, you know, eight, ten minutes, haircut's done, baby. We got the rest of time to, you know, chat and blow dry and style and everything. So I guess because I, I, I try to simplify everything so I can get more done. So when you multiply that times a half a day that I work, it's amazing what you can get done. Um, you know, I love life. And like I said, because of all the people that I've had to say goodbye to, you know, I, I mean, I, I I think each and every day is precious to us. And every day I want to connect with somebody. You know, I was uh, talking to a young man yesterday, and he said something to me that, that kind of strange. He said, what would you do if you hit the lottery? I said, well, I'd go around to every hospital and heal every child. I, could. I said, I don't need nothing now. And uh, he says, really? I said, that's exactly what I would do. I mean, there's nothing worse than a kid suffering. And I says, you know, I mean, I, I had never told anybody this, but I walked into a restaurant one day. There was a lot of people in there. God had blessed me with uh, some extra income. And, you know, there was a grandmother with a special needs child and elderly couples and couples dating and everything. And something came upon me and says, hey, you need to do something nice, right? So I told the waitress, I said, hey, uh, bring me everybody's ticket and take everybody to serve. And uh, the only thing is, is you can't tell nobody. And I says, she goes, well, you know, there's a lot of different servers. I says, y'all will be taken care of. I says, but uh, the thing is not to say anything because I didn't want recognition at that. You know, I'm telling you because I forgot about even doing it until yesterday. Uh, I said, I didn't want recognition. I just wanted somebody to have a good day and say, what happened here? And the guy started crying. I mean, he was taking me to get my truck. I'd been uh, at the body shop. And, and he says, man. There ain't enough people like that. 
And I says, well, we need to do something about that. We need to create more people that do that. Um, if you've been blessed, share it. You know, if you've been blessed and don't share it, don't be waiting on the next blessing. You know, that's the reason you got it. And, uh, you know, that really, it really hit me yesterday that that young man got so emotional about it. Because uh, he couldn't have been more than 22, 23 years old. And uh, that's what makes me run is I like to do things where people aren't expecting it. <laughs> I don't know if you want to call it blindsiding, but it's usually not for evil or nothing like that. It's not like, oh, what just happened? What'd you just say, man? I mean, and then we'll, it'll open up conversations. Um, I, I, and we go back to the work ethic. Everything's simple if you don't dread it. Why would I dread doing something? You know, hey, sometimes I don't know what I'm doing, but I'll sit there and I'll use my brain. And for every action, there's a reaction. If I do this, this is what's going to happen. The worst thing you want to do, you know, people say, well, if you, what if you don't know what to do when you're cutting houses? I don't close the scissors. I says, when I close them is when the magic happens. So I need to know what I'm doing as I'm closing them shears instead of going in blind. I mean, I mean, I, I don't really know how to explain me. I, I am a little bit different than most people. Uh, I love everybody until you give me a reason not to. Now, I can be your worst enemy if you begrudge some of my friends or something like that. Uh, you know, I'm sneaky that way, but uh, I, I don't like to be that person. I, I like to be fun-loving. I like to enjoy myself, you know. Uh, laughter, that's what r r makes the world go around. You know, right now we're all seeing so much stuff on television about singling people out. and everything. I had to quit watching TV because it was getting to me. I couldn't find nothing to laugh about. So I had to, you know, move on to something else. Either that or go to my car shows or home building shows or something like that. That just really gets over on my wife. Like, oh, what are you going to go out and build today? Well, I think I'm going to go do this. <laughs> it's not like anything else to me. It's just a, another project. Let's simplify it and go with it. Um, I think I'm able to touch people because I am outgoing. I, I want to be approachable. Uh, I, I don't want to leave anybody behind. You know, lately it's been a lot different in our life, our whole family's life, because, I mean, I don't know if it's fortunate or unfortunate, but I'm recognized everywhere I go, you know, because of my daughter. And, and, and people just come up and go, do you mind if I, you know, take a picture with her? I said, well, I'm not the famous one. It's my daughter. I mean, but sure, come on, you know. <laughs> and and Suzanne just like. Why do you do that? It's because they ask. If it takes a little joy in their day, I'm good with it. Um, I want people to feel comfortable coming to me, shooting me emails, whatever. All I can tell you is what I think. I'm not going to lie to you because I can't remember lies, so why do it? <laughs> you know, kill me. I mean, that's how people get caught. They can't remember the lie they told, so just don't tell one. Oh, Robert, you're, you're incredible. Probably one of my favorite stories too. And I, I've never, I've never told you this, but we were driving back from, uh, from Birmingham. One of the times when I did a class uh, for your school and you were showing me a couple things around Tuscaloosa and you showed me a place where there was a tornado and where you, I believe it was you and your brother went out and there was some chainsaws involved and you guys, can you talk about that story? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was actually in, um, Los I'd left that morning, and when I landed in Los Angeles, uh, 
my phone started going off and the tornado had come right behind me leaving and it just devastated our area. I mean, it went right through the middle of town. It went through some other areas. And, you know, of course, I was, I was bent completely out of shape because I knew that I knew a lot of the people that were affected like that. So, you know, I couldn't get back. I told my wife I was coming. They said the airport's closed down. You can't get into the airport. And so I suffered through, you know, the meetings that we were having, worried about everybody else. When I got back, uh, I'd already called my brother and says, you know, get us two chainsaws, ropes, everything else. We're going to go out and see what we can do. Uh, so that very next day we got up, uh, we went to a church where they were allocating people out and we were lucky enough to have a group, uh, of full grown size boys, you know, six foot six and bigger. So we were able to do a lot of clearing and everything. We were lucky enough to have a lady with us that was a nurse because we went to this one, uh, mobile home park where we were clearing out and there was a guy that needed, uh, assistance very bad. He was dying. And uh, we were very lucky to have her with us. Uh, we actually got together and tried to figure out how we were going to get somebody to them. And uh, somehow we arranged for a chopper to come in and get him. And, you know, you know, you got to give back. I mean, you know, the main thing is that was a pretty dark period in my life, too, because I was away when it happened. And I couldn't do anything about it. So I made sure when I did get here, we did all that we could. Me and my brother, we did that for about four days. Finally, uh, things were getting a little bit back to normal. The roads were opened. Uh, no more houses, the trees on them in the town. Cause there, there was probably 250 people at that church that morning. That first morning we went there and we stayed in our pods for the rest of the week. Uh, but it was amazing seeing that many people get together. And, you know, we all made it lighthearted and things like that. You know, like I said, we had them big old cornbread boys with us. I mean, they were something else. They were all trying to see who could carry the largest log. So I'd go, okay, I'll just cut them larger for you. <laughs> you would think they would have told me to cut them smaller, but they were being manly, I guess. Here we go again with the shameless promotion. This episode is also brought to you by Piper Diamonds for all your jewelry needs. My necklace that I get complimented all over the country and all over the world, uh, my pennant was made by Piper Diamonds Company. This place is absolutely phenomenal. When you're looking for that special something for that special someone, Piper Diamonds is the only answer. It's piperdiamonds.co. And it's also brought to you by Kelly Cardenas Salon in Las Vegas and in Chicago. This is top-level service, guys, without the ego and, hands down, the greatest shampoo experience that you will ever have in your life. This will create uh, an evangelistic-type uh, experience. You will be talking about this for years and years to come. The wash house, uh, completely separate area, com uh, different sound system, soundproofed, head, neck, and shoulder massage. You will be over the moon with your experience, and you can uh, schedule your appointment at kellycardinasalon.com. Enjoy the rest of the episode. So talk to us too, uh, Robert, because all the, all, as you, as you speak through it, you know, you're talking about, I don't want to lie because I can't remember it. You keep things so simple. And what I love about it is this little kid from Memphis that walked, you know, a mile to school when he's six years old, ends up being partners with one of the most prominent billionaires in the world. And, but he still stays Robert. 
Most of the time, what I see is when a person's a master of their craft, and we're going to start talking about a professional hairdresser here in a second, but when a person is a master of their craft or they're a craftsman, they don't understand business, they don't understand money, and this has been a thing that's intrigued me about you, is you took that same like fervor about your the technical side, and you applied it to being financially literate at a level that most people never even touch. Why was that in so, so important, and how did that happen? Well, you know, you know like I said, we, we, we weren't the wealthy people. I know how to be poor. I know how to get by, and I know how to appreciate whatever small gifts you have. So going up didn't seem like that part of a deal to me. You know, you got to have dedication. You got to show up. You got to work. You know, anybody that watches the clock is going to do as little as possible. Where if you forget about the clock, you can do more than you ever imagined. You know, I, I see people that all, all they're worried about is when's the next break. I, and, and hairdressers, y'all watch me, please do not take this literal. But breaks are for losers. If you're just looking for a break, you're trying to get out of work. I myself have always tried to find more work because then you become dangerous as you get busy, uh, as one of our friends used to call it. Um, as far as, you know, the business end, I bought the barbershop uh, when I was 19 that I was working in and I had, you know, four old guys over 40 working for me. So that, that was a hoot in itself because, you know, people would come and go, well, we need to talk to the owner. I said, is that guy in the back? You know, of course they'd go to him. They're like, why, why do you do that? I go, you really think that they thought I owned it? And, uh, you know, I bought the barbershop and we ran it for a while. I decided I wanted to start doing women's hair because uh, I wanted to start doing the color and the cut. Because the men, you know, I can whip out a shave in no time, a fade. I mean, it's nothing to it. But I wanted something that was more artsy. Now, of course, this was the beginning of the 80s, and I couldn't have found a better time to be artsy because, you know, punk was coming in. Uh, even when, when we turned the hair orange by accident, we would just tell them that's the way it was supposed to be. That's what That was the image. You were supposed to have orange hair, you know. So if you notice, there was a lot of orange hair going on back in the 80s. Uh, I don't think it was intentional most times, but we had to convince them that they enjoyed it. Um, but, uh, you know, came out, uh, got a salon down on uh, University Boulevard right beside the campus, and that opened up a whole new realm for me. You know, I, I always was a little different. I had me and two other guys. We were the only fully male salon around, and, and you know, we all weren't bad on the eyes, so it made it pretty easy to build a clientele. And, uh, you know, I, I was very blessed to have that type of people working around me. You know, we used to go to the sorority houses and buy them in. And, you know, uh, I would always do something a little different. As you would probably know, I would go in bearing gifts where most people are going in, you know, saying, you know, oh, we want you to come see us. Because my introduction was, well, those of y'all that want to be at the, uh, uh, the chapter meeting, stay, and the rest of you leave. I'm not going to make you listen to me. Well, I, when they would leave, I would start handing out free bottles of shampoo, conditioner, free uh, highlights and things. So the next time that I was at that uh, particular sorority house for chapter, and I'd say the same thing, I was amazed at how many of them stayed. They all wanted the free gifts and everything, which in return created traffic in the salon because, you know, there's always a little bit of an angle. You know, we would give you the free conditioner, but you had to come in and buy the shampoo. So that made it where they had to at least walk in my doors. So I would try to think of creative ways to create traffic. We used to be uh, in with all the radio stations and stuff, and they would actually do uh, do things for us without charging. They would come out and, and set up a sound machine in front of our, our 
hair salon and, and bring people in because I was uh, a really good customer and I did do the owner's hair. So that didn't hurt very bad either. Um, but you got to create traffic in our industry and you got to do more than sit around and wait. Those that wait, continue waiting. Those that do, always do. Uh, so you got to get out and make it happen. Um, you know, I, I tell everybody, create everybody you come, I mean, invite everybody you come in contact to see you. They don't know what we do. And when they come in, that's where the professional hairdresser sets in. You know, it's not like, well, how much do you want cut off? That's, you know, kind of like threatening them in the beginning. I mean, I, I wouldn't want you to ask me how much I want cut off. I'd rather you ask me how much I would like to leave with. Uh, but, you know, doing a great consultation is part of building that business. You know, people are like, man, you're strange. I'm going, why? Well, you don't take them straight to the shampoo bowl. I said, what can I do after I wet them down? Well, we never thought about that. You know, you, you, I don't know. I, I just think of things a little differently than everybody else. Uh, I've always been driven. I mean, even as a kid, if we were playing sports, I had to be the best. You know, I mean, I was usually younger than everybody else that I was keeping up with. So at that point, I still didn't think there was any limits. You know, I mean, you know, I'm a foot shorter than everybody else playing basketball, but I played in, right in there with them the whole time. I mean, I think it's just the DNA. Uh, my younger brother's the same way. He's very driven. I mean, my sisters are driven. I mean, they're all nurses. My older sister has about five or six nursing degrees. I mean, I guess we were, you know, if you get an opportunity to better yourself, son, do it. Don't wish you would have done it. Um, I think I'm all over the place like I am with everybody else because I forgot what you asked. No, it was it was right on. I want to go into the financial side because, uh, again, like I think a lot of times creatives um, don't have that side. They say that, oh, well, I'm creative and I just don't really care about the money. What I've always loved and admired about you, Robert, and I haven't got a chance to tell you this, um, is I watch you and you take and you add your creativity to your finances and you you are continuing to you honor them. You honor them just like you honor your craft. And there's a lot of people out there that are creative that have great ideas, but they don't honor and discipline themselves with their finances the way that they do with their, with their, uh, their, their craft. Um, so can you talk to me about when, it, when that started to turn over, when you started to understand and you know, when you started to realize that, uh, that money could be a tool? And I've, I've watched you, though, too, and I've never seen it misused. And because of your humility, you utilize money as a tool and wealth as a tool to be able to bless people. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I guess it all started when I started uh, doing multiple locations at the hair salon. You know, we were so busy that we needed more things going on. So we had a hair salon on 15th Street. Uh, I I branched out and opened another one in the next little town uh, called Northport. Uh, at that point, I had um, 20 hairdressers and 12 nail technicians. And, uh, you know, from there, we were really rolling. And then, uh, unfortunately, I, 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 while the money was coming in, I let my bookkeeper have a little bit too much control. So I got brought down back to earth really quickly, very hard. You know, thank God I had somebody at the bank that knew me because they said, you need to get over and get what you can to go up to. And uh, come to find out she'd been embezzling and um, not paying my taxes for all these people. So it put me in a pretty tough situation. You know, a lot of people would go in and, and try to 
do the bankruptcy thing. I swore I would never do that. So I made a range because I sold a lot of the properties that I'd accumulated, cars, firearms, everything, because I refused to file bankruptcy. But I worked my way out of it. So, you know, it's that type of respect for the money. Now, as far as the, the, the artsy people, you know, not being able to handle their money, they need to put it where they can't get to it so easily. That's the reason I buy things that I know will hold value. And in, in a time of emergency, you know, there's your money. But if the money's too easy to get to, you go, well, I'm just going to go get a few thousand. Me, I'm going to sit there and hoard it until it, it's either needed or I can do something with it that's positive. Um, you know, from there we started, uh, after we got the embezzlement done, I closed down to one salon, which was being built at the same time, which is the one we have now. So I had also that job going on while everything else was going. They were like, how are you doing this not losing your mind? I said, well, I'm just having to set back, regroup, punt, and start over again. It's not a big deal. And they go, it's not a big deal. I said, no, I did it once. I can do it again. I said, because I wasn't the cause of the failure for me mishandling my business. Someone helped me out, so I know how to get back where I was at. Uh, and that's when we uh, built the salon we're at now. And uh, I sold other salons, and then that grew into a 6,000-square-foot business. We had uh, tanning. We had a travel agency. We had a personal training facility where we would give husbands their wives back. We had a very specialty niche. Uh, it was uh, women after they gave birth. We would trim them back down. Uh, we sold swimwear, and everybody told me that it would not work. Well, a little later, after we serviced about 300 people every day, they found out it would work. Uh, you know, I didn't do appointments in the tanning salon. I charged more than everybody else did. Uh, you know, I actually owned a tanning distributorship, so I got my products at cost and sold them for retail. Uh, you know, it was, it was a great plan. Uh, and at that point, then I was able to do more, and that's what opened up the opportunity for me to be able to uh, uh, open schools. Uh, you know, I went to... Uh, a show here in Birmingham and met Wynn Claybaugh, which I'd, I'd met him before. I was doing little things with uh, Sunglitz back in the day, and I saw him at one of the shows where he was doing the speeches, and uh, Mark Palermo was with me, and he said, hey, man, uh, I know you've been thinking about putting him in school. We've got Wynn Claybaugh here. He owns school in Provo, and he's got something going with JP. I said, well, I'll go talk to him. And uh, so we talked. We hit it off real good, and he said, well, let me take you to dinner tonight and talk to you. I said, man, I've got my team with me. i I, I got to take them home. In other words, here I am blowing off Wynn Claybaugh, who ends up being, you know, the head of this huge company. You know, I'm going like, you know, man, I, I got to take these people home. But uh, they say me and Mark Palermo went together and we joined the school system. And, uh, and I guess I really wanted that because I, the education needed to be upgraded. Because, you know, I would, I've always been the hairdresser that would not hire from another salon. And people thought that that was the stupidest thing I could do. I'm going like, well, why do I want to hire them to say, well, that's not the way we did. It? Why don't I just hire the ones and train them to be like I need them to be? Because a few times that I did try to bring somebody in from another salon, it was real odd. It was, they were, they were harder to get the vision than the new ones were. So I just said, I'll only hire from school. So at that point, I was seeing where a lot of the education was missing in our, our, uh, our industry, and that's what made me want to go towards the school. And of course, I've always been with Paul Mitchell since 1981, you know, carrying their products, going through the education. And when that opportunity opened up, I knew that that's where I needed to be. 
but you know, I guess I, I get a thrill out of when people tell me things that they, it won't work, and it will work. You got to do the work to make it work, but it will work. You know, oh, you'll never make it charge you more than that. Oh, it's too big of a facility. Oh, you got too many employees. Okay, just sit back and figure it out and, and sell everybody on what we're doing. Make sure you pay them well and give them opportunities to grow. You're not just anything. I say, well, I'm just a reservation. But you're not just a reservation. You're the one that manages our time. You know, everybody's got to feel special about their job or else they're just not going to be very good at it. They're going to be waiting for that break, you know? Come on now, let's find a break, you know? People think I'm cruel when I say it, but in the hair industry, we get breaks. There's always going to be somebody that got caught trapped. I don't need 15, 20 minutes to eat and drink. There's always somebody that, that canceled for some reason. But I'm not going to mark out time that somebody else could utilize for the convenience of me having a break. You know, I don't know. Maybe I'm just, I'm, I think I'm wired just a little different. <laughs> well, I, th- I think it's amazing. And let's go to that part where you said, you know, you started using Paul Mitchell in 81, right? When the, you know, this, this company at the time in 1981, any of you guys listening, they only had four products. You, you think of it now, it's a household name. You think of John Paul. He's one of, uh, one of I think, 400 uh, self-made billionaires in the world. Um, this guy just sold Patron for $5.3 billion. So talk Billion. To- billion, <laughs> like not million, not the M's. I'm talking the B's. So talk to me yeah. about the fact of like that kind of pinch me moment, or did you have them when you started in 81 and you're working with this product and then we fast forward and then your business partners with John Paul. So tell me, I mean, was there a pinch me moment? Was there a step back and be like, yo, I mean, this little kid from Memphis, um, or was it just, you know, this was normal to you? It just seemed like the, the uh, a gradual. I mean, I just got there gradually, so I just, I just, it's kind of like riding a wave, man. I just stayed on it, stayed on, stayed on it. Um, you know, I'll never forget the first time that I, I met JP. Uh, it was, it was, it was very exciting for me. I'm just a kid, and, and uh, I'd heard stories about him. I'd watched Paul cut hair, you know, on stage, which was phenomenal uh, as a younger kid, and. Um, I guess the pinch me moment was when uh, John Paul was at uh, one of our signature gatherings. He says, Robert, I hear you're doing great things. And would you consider partnering with me in a school? And I said, yes, sir, I would love to. I need to see your financials. <laughs> so I, I got an elbow in my rib cage from my wife. And this is how humble that man is. He says, Robert, you can see anything you want. And so that's how it it started as far as being able to work with him. We partnered on the uh, Huntsville School. Um, I was lucky enough to buy corporate out two years ago. Uh, I was doing real well, and uh, I made a phone call and, and told them I was interested in buying it, and they gave me a price. And I said, sure, I'll get it to you by the end of the week. And uh, I don't know if many people's you know, because I, I don't get in anybody else's business or anything, but uh, I don't know if anybody else has bought corporate out yet or not for any of these schools. But uh, I think that they respected me enough to know that I was going to carry carry the torch and continue the work that I'm doing. Um, I'm I'm very blessed. I, I mean, 
I mean, God has put me in a position where I can help people help myself and better myself. You know, so don't waste a minute of it. I mean, come on now. You know, once we're gone, we're going to be okay. But I would like for people to remember me. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I hope you're enjoying it. Uh, now's the time to do some shameless promotion. This episode is brought to you by Squeeze Dried, a delicious, no-hassle way to get superfoods, vitamins, and nutrition. SqueezeDried.com. It's also brought to you by Cardenas Law Group, a high-level boutique law firm for all your personal injury needs. That's CardenasLawGroup.com. Thank you so much again for listening. Hopefully, you're continuing to enjoy the episode. Well, you know? I, I think you're leaving that that, that legacy. Uh, you spoke about a, a woman who is near and dear, obviously, to your heart and very, very dear to my heart, too, and Suzanne. So let's talk about your family, man, because a lot of times I think entrepreneurs, um, you know, and especially driven people like yourself, they are driven so far and they, they say, I'm working for my family, I'm working for my family, but they end up losing their family because they're working so much. You've always wrapped everything around your family. So... Um, you have a, a incredible, you have a phenomenal daughter, you have a phenomenal son, and you have an absolutely beautiful, incredible wife. Talk to us about how you've been able to keep that. I don't call it balance. I talk, I, I, I call it compartmentalization, meaning that you focus on your family. Like when, when I'm with your family at your house, like there's nothing else that, that exists. When we go to the school, there's nothing else that exists. When we go to your salon, there's nothing. But when we go to barbecue, ain't nothing else exists except you, me, and that barbecue <laughs> plate, right? So yeah, how, like right. Let's, let's talk about that and how you're able to, you're literally able to have all of it. Right. And I do have one more daughter. I have an older daughter, Elisa. Uh, she, she's 12 years older than Hannah also, which, uh, you know, part of part of what made me me was uh, when Elisa was born, uh, me and her mother weren't married. And uh, I took it very, very strong to be a father. I wasn't going to be one of those fathers that was missing all the time. I had my daughter every other weekend and I actually got offered an opportunity to start being trained by Paul Mitchell. And I says, well, you know, I've got my daughter every other weekend. I mean, are we going to be able to work this out? And they said, well, you know, we can't promise that. So I said, uh, well, I'm still involved, but I won't be doing platform work or education because nothing's more important than my family. So that's the reason I say that's where it started because there was nothing going to keep me from my weekend with my daughter. I mean, uh, that was when we were still struggling. That was the early 80s. Uh, you know, we used to do things for fun, like go to the mall, and we called it, uh, which don't get mad, we called it freak watching. <laughs> and we would go through and just see how the different way people were dancing. Now, she was four years old, and, you know, we, we didn't have a lot, and we, we just enjoyed ourselves together. But, but I think that's what started the family part with me, because before that, I definitely wasn't family material. Um, but, uh, seeing that young baby at that early age and knowing that, uh, she was going to be dependent on me was what, t what turned the tides. Now, you know, after Suzanne and I got married, we dated five years before we got married because I've always said that I was one and done. One marriage. That's it. And, uh, my, my parents were one and done. So there was, there is no, exception to that policy and when I started working so hard is because I wanted Suzanne to stay home and raise our children because my mother worked my dad worked and I loved Della to death she was just like my own mother uh, but I didn't get to be with my parents like I, I wanted to um, 
I let Suzanne basically stay home until they graduated college. So I think I a little overdid it a little bit now. Now <laughs> she's running to school. She calls me semi-retired because uh, I don't go in every day, but I'm working like this. Uh, but when I was working all the long hours, I was doing it for them. Then when I got home, it was about them. Mm. I wanted to make sure that they had everything that they needed to have a great life. Uh, I wanted them to uh, have opportunities. Uh, you know, Hannah was very expensive. Uh, she, she was a dancer uh, <laughs> since she was three years old. I spent about $10,000 that first year to watch her how to hop up and down. Uh, but that's all they did was hop up and down and follow each other. But I said that was well spent. She hops very well. Um, and then, you know, Patrick, he was baseball and football and all the stuff. And I wanted them to be able to do that because it was it was different than my childhood. I wanted them to have the mother at home. Uh, you know, during the summers, you know, I'd get off work nine o'clock or so, come in. There might be 15 kids in my house. My house was the house where everybody stayed. Uh, you know, we had the pool. Uh, now my wife has a, a, a group called the Mom Squad, and you don't ever want to upset the Mom Squad because they're all coming after you to this day. Uh, but that was the other mothers with all the kids that would come over here and, and, and stay. I mean, uh, you got to have balance, and the balance may be just between two things, you know, work and home, but it's balance. Um, I love being with my family. Do we always go that long? No. No, we're going to have differences of opinions and, and and say things we regret later and have to apologize. But you know, actually, the making up is pretty good most of the time. But <laughs> but you know, you have to you have to have that balance. I, I mean, I don't want to be that that dad that, that boring dad either. I cut up. I mean, I have a good time. I challenge them to things. I always have. Um, I've been blessed. I mean, I've got three great kids, two beautiful grandkids beautiful wife, uh, you know, that believes in me because believe me, you had to believe in me there at one time that I was going at it so hard in order to keep me going. And uh, she did a great job of that. Uh, I like to be in the moment. If I'm going to be here with you, I'm going to be with you. Uh, if I'm going to have to check out, I'm going in the other room. Um, you know, there's, there's just so many sides to having a family that I love that I'm not willing to not do any of it. Um, I'm there. You know, I'm the one that goes, takes them to doctors. I'm the one that takes care of things that nobody else can take care of. Uh, uh, I'm the one in the stands cheering the loudest. Believe me, they, they, they all hear me when somebody in my family wins. Uh, anywhere. I, I'm the first one up and the loudest one there because I'm just so proud of my family. So uh, I cherish every moment with it because one of these days I ain't going to be here. I mean, and that's okay. I'll be okay. I'll see them when they get there. And uh, I, I just don't know what to say. I just love seeing them. You know, it can be something just as us hanging around the pool, floating around on rafts. You know what? I'm having a blast. Well, I think that we go through, I mean, whether it be family or business or um, any anything like that, we always go through the highs and lows. And when a person sees you, they see your joy. A lot of times, I had a guy come to me at, at uh, a large convention that, that we both went to gathering. And he came up to me and he said, Kelly, I had to stop listen to, listening to you. And I said, why is that? He said, I, I watched your videos for a while. I listened to the stuff, but I had to stop listening to you and I stopped watching you. And I said, why? And he said, because you're too happy all the time. He said that I have a real life and I have things hit me and 
Like I'm sick and tired of getting on and seeing you happy all the time. And I told him, I said, it's not happiness. It's joy. It's not that impacts don't happen to me. It's just that I have a mindset of joy. Talk to us about some of the impacts. Cause when a person sees a person with your type of joy, with your type of simplicity as life is like, you know, Hey, um, I would, I love what you said. You said, I'm going to step back, regroup. I'm going to punt. And then I'm starting over. Um, that, that is just, I mean, it's gold, Robert, but a lot of people would assume when they see you and they see your joy that, Oh, Robert's life is perfect. Everything is going as planned. Can you talk to us about some things that maybe didn't go as planned and how you were able to deal with them and, and what effect they've had on you? Oh, I mean, there, there's been many, um, you know, the, the darkest days are the passing of family members and especially being there for the last breath. Uh, then there's the, when, when my, uh, sister was taken from her and my niece and nephew. That was probably the, the darkest thing I've ever seen. Uh, somebody to come in and kill three individuals in their own home, you know, and, and it did take me down that bad, uh, that bad path for a little while. But after a while, I shut myself. I just, what would my sister say if she saw me in this state? Now, she probably slapped the crap out of me and say, wake up. This is not how I want you to be. I want you to be yourself. I want you to have a good time. I want you to be happy. You know, uh, that was it. You know, watching mom pass was tough. Um, I had a friend, Guy Baker, that uh, we we were brothers. And uh, he left me. And a lot of it's been things like that that make me have the joy because I think of the joy I had when I was with all these people. And I figure it's time to pass it on. And, uh, you know, try not to be judgmental to anybody. You, know, you, you can't have joy in your heart if you're judging people. You know, take everybody the way they are. If they don't like what I'm saying, they can leave. It's okay. See you later, dude. I mean, it's not a big deal. Uh, you know, I'll find somebody else to talk to. Um, you know, dark times hurt you. And I think a lot of people get trapped by it. You know, and I felt like I've been trapped at times, so I just finally have to say, hey, hey, what am I doing? Uh, if it's to be, it's up to me. I'm the only one that can, that can get me out of that funk and find that joy. Uh, is the joy constantly there? No, but if it's not, we're going to look for it. Mm. Uh, if you look hard enough, you can find anything you want by. Um, I don't understand people that look for loneliness, that look for uh problems with people you know trying to to make somebody something they're not uh i say let everybody be themselves i mean if i don't like you i just don't hang out with you if i love you i'm gonna be with you every chance i get um joy is is, is something that we are in control of nobody else is in control of it it's up to us i mean our mind is a is a great tool and we can go wherever we want to it, it just depends where you're focused um has life been perfect for me? No. But I learned lessons mm. from the misery to make sure it doesn't happen again. Yeah. And that's what people do. They repeat the same thing, expecting a different result. And it's not going to happen if you do the same thing. So just stop doing it. Talk to me, too. You and I had a conversation. Uh, it was a couple months ago. We hadn't talked in a while. Um, and... Um, 
we started to talk and you started to open up and you were out in California again. And, you know, when you were in California, the one time with the tornado, you had, you couldn't get back. Right. There was another time in California that just happened that, um, you had to get back. And yeah. the reason why I talk about this is because there's so many people out there, Robert, there's so many people out there that think that, okay, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Oh, this happened, so I'm allowed to go down this road. It doesn't mean that you're not allowed to have those feelings, but you still kept joy even during this, these, through these times. Can you talk to me about that California trip and, and how that impacted you? Uh, that was probably one of the darkest times of my life. I, was, uh, I typically don't do very much for myself. And uh, my son and my wife and I we went to get crawfish, and a friend of mine called and says, "Hey, I've got uh, tickets on the finish line at the uh, tele- I mean, at the NASCAR race in Fontana, California." And uh, I turned around, looked at Susan, I said, I'm, "I'm leaving for California in the morning." She said, "Where did this come from?" And I told her what I was offered, and and she said, "Well, go." So you know, I get up the next morning, fly out to LA. I mean, fly out to uh, yeah, LA, get picked up, and I'm there. Enfield got passes. I, I asked the guy, I said, "Can I can I go in there?" He goes, "Buddy, the, the passes you got, you can go anywhere you want." <laughs> you know, so I was having having a dream moment. He goes, "No, there are no off limits to you." And I go, "Well, I'm glad you told me because I didn't know if I could go look at the cars or not." But we we're, you know, we're out there. We spend the first night there. It's just so beautiful there, and they have all these uh, things that go on at night. And the next morning, we got up. And went and watched the races, and we watched the first series of races on Saturday. And, uh, you know, you get back to the room, and there's no phone calls in the middle of the night that are ever good. The phone rings. I jump up. I answer it. It's my wife on the phone. She says, something bad has happened. She says, Patrick's died. And I said, what? She goes, he died, but they brought him back. He, he had an OD. And so there's nothing that makes you feel any worse than not being able to be there to comfort her and to see what I can do for my boy. He's my only boy. He's me, actually. Uh, he's just a, a new version. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, my buddy, uh, he goes, what's the matter? And I says, man, I, I got I to gotta go. I told him what was happening. I just called American Airlines. I said, I need the fastest plane you got back. And, uh, you know, they were, I told her what happened. She worked with me, got me. Uh, and, and there's nothing worse than that flight back on the plane because you can't be in contact. No. If anything else has happened, because he'd had a pretty bad overdose. Uh, he was with some so-called friends and they offered him something that they, he thought, and it was something else. And, uh, you know, mama said when she got there, he was cold. Um, she did tell me that and that they brought him back and we didn't know about brain functions or anything like that. So I get back in, you know, I, I fly into Birmingham. I make it and I beeline to the hospital. I get there. I'm, uh, very anxious to see my son. 
And as I'm going down the hall, Suzanne must have seen me because I was heading straight to ICU. And she says, where are you going? I said, I'm going to go see Patrick. She says, you can't see him. I said, watch me. So I got to the door and they said, you can't go in. I said, well, listen, this is what I, I need you to do. I need you to go ahead and call security and they can come get me out of my boy's room when they get here. I said, but I'm going in. You understand? And the lady says, you can't go in. Well, let's just say the doors were opened and I went in because in my mind, I had to see right then. And it's a sight that I don't think any parent should ever see. I mean, you got a perfectly healthy boy. You go in there and he's got the all the lines in him and the incubation tube in him. And there's just not a worse feeling in the world. So we didn't know what was going to happen. You know, so I, Suzanne leaves. I'm there. I'm praying to just bring him back. And uh, um, let's just say, you know, I just kept praying. You know, went out and consoled Suzanne after that because I'd already seen about all I could see at that point. And um, we were trying to put together the pieces because Patrick was already on a path of recovery, knowing that he had to be away from the people that he was around. Uh, we were all supposed to be going to a concert that night until I got that offer, and then Suzanne didn't go, and she just, he went anyway, and, you know, somehow fell back in the same routine. But uh, I couldn't get any straight stories, so let's just say by the end of, by the end of that day, we knew exactly where he was every inch of the way. I knew where he went and where he was with. I knew who he was talking to. Uh, I had about a 15-minute gap there that I couldn't find out what he was doing. Um, but other than that, we, we traced everything. We found out who he was with and everything. So that's a whole different story there. But, um, you know, I was just thankful when he finally did come too. Now, his best friend, Jackson Marshall, uh, he's a he, he's a guide for hunting expeditions and fishing and all that stuff. And when Jackson got there, it's so incredible that Jackson went in there and just started talking to him and holding his hand. And that's when he opened his eyes. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, he didn't open his eyes for me or his mother. But when he heard that voice, he responded. And him and Jackson been friends since they were, well, since they were born, uh, Philip Marshall's a great friend of mine. We roommates and everything, but it took that one voice for him to hear that brought him out. Of it, and it was totally amazing. Um, but, uh, there, there's nothing worse than thinking you're fixing to bury one of his children. Uh, they're supposed to bury me, not me burying him. Uh, but I'm very thankful. He's, uh, trying to help young men understand to not do what he did. I mean, let's just say he, he has a special personality. I think he'll they'll always remember him at his high school from now on. Um, I was, uh, it's so funny. I was at, at a restaurant. Something was said, and I said, you know, my son, Patrick Brown, they go, oh, he's a legend. I said, what are you talking about? Oh, he's a legend. Man, when he hung them six king-size sheets over the school that they went to, uh, with a message on it, you know, for, you know, uh, it was for homecoming. He says, ain't nobody ever done anything like that. 
before because it covered the whole front of the school. Uh, but, you know, I'm like, he is kind of a legend in his own mind. I just, I'm just so blessed that that legend's still here with me. Um, he's, he's fun loving. He's, he's always been a character. And that's right. I say he, he's a, he's a chip off the old block. He's a hard worker. You know, I helped put him in business and, and he's doing all he can to make it work. I mean, he works 10, 12, 14 hours a day to try to get the business started. You know, he's like anybody else. We got to rely on who we can employ. Uh, he's in the HVAC business and it takes people that are willing to work in order to get it done. And, uh, eventually he's going to get that team put, put together around himself. Uh, you know, I, I know there's no limits to him either because he sees the world like I do in so many ways. Uh, well, no one t- didn't tell me I couldn't do that. Well, don't let anybody tell you what you can't do. Figure out a way to get it done. You know? Um, I love him to death. I mean, I do. I love my whole family. I couldn't imagine losing any of them. I mean, uh, when I lost my baby sister and my niece and nephew, I mean, that was that was tough. Didn't think I would ever be in that situation. Yeah. And then it uh, gets really close. Uh, you know, I can just tell all parents. I mean, even though we knew what our kids were doing all the time, that's the reason we were the house where everybody was at. There's still outside sources that get to them sometimes. So I wish I had a, a, a magic uh, way to tell you how to keep a check on that because if it got past me, it can get past anybody because, you know, when I was a young man, I played hard too, and, and I thought that I would see the signs, but I didn't. Uh, I knew there was something going on, but I didn't know exactly what was going on because I would talk to him all the time. And the sun slowly rolled out, baby. You know, you roll too hard. You, you know, I, I didn't get on to him because he, he's a young man, and uh, a young man does have to make decisions on his own. All I can do is try to guide him to the right decisions, and if he takes the wrong one, we can just redirect or, as I say, back up, punt, and start over again. And that's what I was uh, given the ability to do with my son. I think we're closer now than we've ever been. Uh, he asked my opinion now instead of telling me my opinion. Uh, you know, he's a great kid. He really is. I, I want the best for him. You know, my daughters are incredible. You know, my oldest daughter, she's got two two beautiful grandkids. She's done a great job raising them. And then there's Hannah. You know, Hannah is an overachiever, and most of the country knows that by now. I mean, she, she's had a lot of great opportunities that she's taken advantage of. And each and every time that she got these opportunities, she did the best she could. Uh, when she was doing the Dancing on the Stars, she says, Daddy, I'm in it to win it. I'm not in it just to be in it. And uh, I went and stayed with her for a couple of weeks. And I can honestly tell you, the, the girl would leave at 6.30 in the morning and make her little breakfast. And most nights she'd get in at 11.30. Uh, those are her daddy's days, not plus some. She'd practice dancing the whole time. And that's what she was consumed with because she was determined to win. Her partner was in it to win it too. Uh, Alan's great. I love him to death. I mean, they got along great. And, uh, you know, she 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 did great, but uh, she won because she had a determination that you didn't tell her that she couldn't win. Why can't I? You know, so hopefully that's some of the things that they'll remember the rest of their life is that hopefully I showed them there's no limit. The only limits are the ones that you place on yourself. And, you know, I just don't under, understand anybody that puts limits on themselves. You don't know what you can do till you try. 
if you try it and it don't work, hey, we're going to punt. <laughs> well, Robert, I, I tell you, yeah, it's it, it's so amazing to be able to see it and the transformation and the, the like how you've transferred this into the next generation because it generally doesn't happen. When you see a bootstraps person like yourself that, you know, starts off walking a mile <laughs> to school at six years old, um, that you live in your car just because you want to because no one told you you couldn't, you get the motorcycle and become Warren Beatty and shampoo. Um, you, you, you go out and you're, you're a knucklehead for a while. You, uh, you know, you have a daughter and then it, it changes you, right? And then you have this mm-hmm. other transformation with a Suzanne and you meet a Suzanne and and that really changes the game and then the you know the success follows most of the time when someone goes through that the next generation is just consuming the seeds that you've planted but i look at your kids and i i you know getting a chance to be able to be around them looking at a patrick who is i mean this is one of my favorite people on the planet like this kid is such a hard worker but again has that spirit of joy you look at a hannah that goes on goes on uh the the bachelor first becomes the bachelorette and then goes and wins dancing with the stars oh by the way um being able to do those kind of things but it's what I, what I love about it is what you've transferred is that there's not really any big breaks. I, I remember seeing Hannah and people or a lot of people think, oh, wow, Hannah blew up. She, uh, you know, became famous overnight. No, she didn't. She was doing pageants. She was working her butt off. She was doing all these things. And it was the little things along the way that created the big break. And I want to congratulate you on that because that generally doesn't happen. Um, can you talk to me? about when I, when I say there's no big breaks in life, there's just a bunch of little ones. Even when I said to you, your partners with John Paul, one of the uh, most prominent billionaires in the world, then you were like, eh, it just kind of, that's what happened. Can you talk to me about yeah. the fact that there's no big breaks and there's only little ones? Well, any opportunities which you make up. Uh, you can sit around, and uh, I could have sat around waiting for JP to take charge, but I'm not built that way, you know. He gave me the opportunity to grow a little quicker than I thought I was going to be able to grow, because, you know, I'm I'm not finished. I'm just getting started. Um, but anything that's an opportunity can be an advantage as long as you look at it as an opportunity and not something that, that's uh, dragging you down. I mean, you've got to enjoy what you do. If you, if you don't enjoy it, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. I love what I do. I love when I'm helping a student because, of course, I have to tell them off that I'm over here, the teachers are here. And I show them something that they really understand. And that look in their eye is what I do it every day. So opportunities are there. It's just what you do with them. It doesn't matter if it's large or small. I mean, you can double down on anything. Um, nothing says you have to stay anywhere, that, that you have this limitation, that you can't do that. And I guess that's what's made me. I mean, I just, I just go, okay, I'll go do it. I mean... <laughs> I mean, why not? I mean, it's, and I hope that I've helped others become that way because I don't want to be exclusive. I want to be inclusive. I want everybody to see that they can do anything. Mm. Um, If someone tells you can't, find a new friend. There's plenty of people out there. I mean, there's no reason for you to hang around somebody that's going to be like an anchor around you. I mean, Lord. I mean, I don't want anybody to say, oh, my God, Robert's walking up again. Uh, you know, they might say that because I'm 
kind of long-winded, but uh, not because I'm not giving good information, not having a good time. Um, but I mean, I, I just I love life. I love trying to get as much out of it as I can. I'm not going to hurt anybody deliberately for any reason. Uh, any of us can hurt somebody's feelings unintentionally, but you know that's up to them. Um, and I apologize to anybody that's seeing this that I've ever offended. I don't ever try to offend anybody intentionally. If I did, you would have to be wondering about it. You definitely know. Um, but <laughs> I just don't see, I just don't see the limits. Yes. I just don't see the limits. You know, one of my new things that I'm uh, trying to do right now is, uh, I had the opportunity to buy some more property up in Mentone, Alabama. I got a little piece of heaven up there. I still want you to come up there with me. Uh, it's one of the most beautiful areas in Alabama. It's in the mountains. It's real small. And uh, I bought some property, and I was talking to uh, Scott Cole. I said, man, I think I'm going to build a bar and dominium and have a compound. He said, what kind of compound? I said, I want a compound where I can invite my hairdresser friends and let's come up there and work together and, and have a good time, bring our families. Uh, and and if, if we make any money with our videos or are just able to help somebody, who cares? I mean, the main thing is getting back with the people. I, I, I call y'all my people. You're my people. You know, I, I love the hair industry. We are an incredible group of individuals. And I mean, there is all types in our business. You've got your serious ones. You have the ones that aren't serious. You have the ones that, you know, are in the right place at the right time. And, and we all have a place in the hair industry to do better. And, uh, I, I mean, that's one of my, my things that I, I want to do right now. If I can get all the things situated, I, I would love nothing better than to have a group of my best friends that are hairdressers and let's sit around and just cut hair and talk about things. Uh, that would be incredible to me. You know, not, not, not a hair show, just us just doing our thing. No recognitions needed other than we say, Hey, dude, that's a good looking haircut. You did that for three minutes. That looks great, you know? Um, but I just don't ever see a limit. Well, I love, you I know? love it. I love it too, Robert, because you, you, and I know you're not setting out to tell people that's the thing is, is you're just doing it. And by doing it, you're inspiring so many people around you and you know, the people who want to follow it, they follow it. And I love the fact of the simplicity and the fact that you continually want to be able to give back to two people. Um, so the whole reason why I started the podcast, Robert, is, you know, it was it was selfish. It was for my kids, um, Maddox and McKenna. And, you know, Maddox is nine and McKenna's 12. And, and the reason why I did it is because I want to take iconic people like yourself that have, I mean, that have accomplished more in their lifetime than most people's, you know, generations, plural, will ever see and you've passed it on and so iconic people like yourself I wanted my kids to realize that Uncle Robert is not a superhero he doesn't have different type of blood in his veins he doesn't eat Superman food he's a man who has a great attitude a phenomenal work ethic and he just does not give up so what advice would you give to Maddox and McKenna and if you could use their names it would be awesome well, you know, Maddox, hey, I got a real warm spot in my heart for that boy. That boy is unique. His, just his vision on life reminds me of me as a kid. 
you know, I saw where the other day he was doing the sword thing at the house. Well, I can see that. I mean, I'm, that looks like fun. Now, a lot of people say, oh, how dare you have your kids with a sword? He was having a good time. Don't worry about it. But he's a thinker, too. I've noticed that. He does, when you're talking to him, he's listening, and he's thinking about what you're saying, and then he's going to give you the response that he actually wants to give you. He's kind of unfiltered also. So I think that's the reason we get along real well. Uh, He's he, he he's incredible. And McKenna, she's she's just a dainty little set. Uh, she she's just another Brooklyn. And who can't love Brooklyn? I mean, that's the most wonderful woman I ever met. I love her to death. And and she's pretty too, so that's a benefit. But I mean, besides that, I just love her heart. I love the way that she cares about people and everybody around her. I mean, watching you and your wife with your children gives me joy. Because I know that y'all's bond is right where it should be. You love each other. You're always going to be there for each other. And, you know, I think that a lot of that comes from your upbringing. You know, you talk about your mom and pop all the time. And and y'all grow up much like I did. You know, uh, mom and dad struggled to give us everything. But you know what? We still had a good time. We managed. We got through it. And look at us now. I mean, uh, I think a great family life is what every child deserves. Uh, if there was a magic wand, I would get it, and I would heal them all and give them all a good family and, and, and roll on. And uh, your kids, I mean, they're just, they're special. I, I, the other day when I talked to you and you were at the skateboard park with him and you were describing what he was doing, I could see it. And I was on the phone. Uh, you know, you're blessed. You're very blessed. You've got great kids a beautiful, loving wife, and you've got a heart as, as big as anybody I've ever seen. And that's another reason I'm drawn to you is I love you. And I always will. And I hope you know that if there's ever anything that I can do, I'll be more than happy to. Because I know if I need you, I'll make that call. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, I want to thank you, Robert, for your time. I mean, you have dropped so many uh, gems and nuggets of gold. Um, and I want to thank every single person out there that's listening. Um, it, like, like I say all the time, guys, if you got any value from this, if you hear anything, which you did, I know you did. If you listen to this, you got so much value from Robert. Um, I'm going to, his, his social handles, although he tells me I'm not that good at that, his social handles will be in the bio. Um, but we want to thank you guys for listening. We want to thank you for listening to the podcast. And uh, now's the time to subscribe, click the links, do all the things that you know you need to do. Um, and we just appreciate you. And honestly, Robert, it was such a joy. I cannot wait to have another episode, but the next episode is going to be in person. Um, so we want to thank you for being on the show and thank you again for your time, Robert. Hey man, I loved it. I enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to the next one. I'll hold you to it.